Welcome to the Honest Academics podcast. We are your hosts, Sari and Dorotje, and we have honest conversations about everything related to academia. Today, we're going to talk about psycho supervisors, 20 participants per cell, spitting on PhD students, and a worthless piece of shit. Welcome back. Before we start, we want to thank all of you who listened to the previous episode. We got some amazing feedback. Someone mentioned that they even binged on it, so we were really, really happy to hear that. But then again, someone also said that if master students would listen to us, there would be no more PhD students in the world. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the sacred bond of academia, the relationship between PhD student and their supervisor. I think this is the most preparation we ever did for an episode so far. We talked to our own supervisors, of course, but to get as many uh, experiences as possible. We also set up a survey. We interviewed an expert. Um, so to start us off, what does a supervisor actually do? We asked Barbara Muller from Redbout University. I think the task is twofold. So first of all, there's the academic part, which means that my task as a supervisor is to to guide the PhD student on his, uh, on his or her way to become a full member of the academic communities. Second part, part is more personal, is more about moral support, about helping the PhD student to, to don't give up, to um, handle, handle negative periods, to, um, to handle negative feedback from others, uh, bad research results, um, any drawbacks that come up. And, and then what is part of that also, I think, is to help PhD students um, to get a clear idea of what they want to do in the future and help them to achieve that. So if they don't want to stay in academia, for example, that they know where to search for other possibilities and to prepare appropriately for that. Thank you, Barbara. That's a really good perspective on supervision. But throughout our PhDs, we heard of many situations where the supervisor relationship kind of took a wrong turn. To make sure we reflect the PhD experience as broadly as possible, we sent out a survey through social media and got responses from six different countries. Based on this, we constructed six supervisor personas and also going to give advice on how to deal with all of these personas. Of course, these are a little exaggerated, but it's not science, right? No, it's not even close to science. We would like to thank all of you who filled out the survey. We were at times intrigued and shocked to read some of the stories that we're mm -hmm. gonna share today. Uh, but before we get to the, the real bad stuff, let's talk about what an ideal supervisor looks like because we actually got quite some positive stories from the survey as well. And Dory, do you remember the sandwich method? No, what is that? So I was taught to use the sandwich method when I wanna say something negative to a student. So the idea is that you first give positive feedback and then you just sort of slide the negative feedback into it and then you top it up with positive feedback again. So let's use that strategy for today as well and start with some positive stories from the survey. First off, my supervisor always supports me and treats me like a partner, not like a student. A partner? 
Is that good? I guess that person thinks it's good. <laughs> That's great. Okay, another one. One of my ex-supervisors wrote me a recommendation letter for my current PhD. I thought that was really kind and, I, and it also really boosted my confidence. My current supervisor is really keen on helping me and the other PhD students gain transferable skills, which I really appreciate. So she will often emphasize that a PhD is supposed to be a learning and not just applying experience. So now that we've sandwiched the negativity, we can start about the actual dark side, the villains of academia. The first one, the I can do better and faster than you, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it type of supervisor. And I'm going to read out a quote from the survey. My supervisor doesn't really let me do anything. We always have to do what he wants. He comes up with the design, research questions, hypotheses, collects data himself, writes the articles, and he even does the pre-registration. I don't know what to do about it. He doesn't want me to go to conferences and doesn't let me participate in any way. He always says, it's just faster like this. I feel like I learned nothing in the past couple of years. Well, that sounds really bad. This person doesn't give you enough space to develop your own academic skills. They don't care too much about your academic development and they only want their projects to progress. They're often too focused on getting things done. Yeah, probably this person either maybe just very self-focused or very time pressured. And either way, they don't really notice the fact that a PhD is mainly about you and your academic development. Mm -hmm. So I suppose one strategy could be to ask for a meeting in which you acknowledge that they are actually instrumental in your development and that you want to learn from their example, but that you would like to have more input in the project. Yeah, I, I guess most importantly, since this person is likely outcome driven, just come up with a timeline, a schedule, a plan for your studies and papers. Mm -hmm. And for example, plan a meeting every week with goals to achieve and send the materials before the meeting. So this way you might be able to take over the process a little bit more and might help you to get things under control. So the second persona is the I work crazy hours. So I expect you to work crazy hours as well, supervisor. Just a, a short story to begin with. At Friday evening drinks at 11.40 p.m., one of the PhDs in my group checked her phone and suddenly got really stressed. She got her laptop from her bag, opened R and started working in the pub. <laughs> and when we asked what the hell she was doing, she said that her supervisor asked her to change some plots and she had to do it immediately. That's crazy. This yeah. is a really tough one. Sometimes, I guess, PhDs are considered little slaves. Mm -hmm. um, basically, the only thing you do, you can do is to set your own boundaries and stick to them. Now, we know that it sounds a bit vague, but for example, you can do this by acting like a project manager in your PhD. And essentially, you are responsible for your own project. So go to meetings with a plan, with an agenda, and this way you will make sure that you are the lead and you will get what you want out of these meetings. What I also see sometimes is that students sort of impose it on themselves. So they get an email from their supervisor on the weekend or in the evening and they think, oh, that means that I should be working too. 
but that's mm-hmm. not the case at all. You don't have to. Another tip, like if you're just starting to look for a PhD project, is that you can also ask her team, so her other uh, PhD students and postdocs, about her supervision style and work ethic in the lab, because that's often a good indication of um, what someone is going to expect from you. Yeah, that's a really good point. Maybe something to add here. Mm-hmm. I guess sometimes it can be hard because of the power distance. And sometimes it feels like your supervisor is your boss. Mm-hmm. But that shouldn't be the way. Because they are there to help you and guide you through a process. Which they already went through and they are more experienced in. So essentially you do this for yourself. Mm-hmm. And of course, in some countries, it, it's easier. In the Netherlands, it was it was really easy to be your own project manager because that's how the system is built. Mm-hmm. But I guess in some countries, it's more difficult. What do you think? Yeah, I was going to say, actually, I think we got lucky that we did our PhD in the Netherlands because the, the power structure is quite horizontal. So yeah. everyone, is, everyone is used to people just being honest and direct. And it's, it's quite... It's actually expected to um, say what you expect from your supervisors, for example. Like it's quite that's quite common. Um, but I know that, for example, in Germany, the power structure is more vertical, and it's really unusual to go against your supervisor or to even um, bring up a topic like the working hours mm-hmm. or these kind of things. We read even crazier stories, though. Yeah, so this is the first one that we read and we were just really shocked about. My advisor helped me to develop a CV reflective of high productivity. However, he was emotionally abusive. We had many conflicts. The most extreme was when we were working on a paper and he started punching things, throwing pens and stapler, screaming in my face through his teeth to the point he was spitting on me, slamming his fists on the table and telling me what a worthless piece of shit I am. I contacted the chair about the incident and then he said he's very productive. So we kind of just let him do what he wants. Whoa. Yeah, this is crazy. And and I'm just the most shocked about the response from the chair. I'm shocked, but also not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> this sounded like so much experience and wisdom. <laughs> I mean... I think that's actually the key to why these situations exist is that in academia, people are not, um, let's say, evaluated for their supervision style, but they're evaluated for their outputs. And if Mm -hmm. someone is super productive, then, um, yeah, there's there's not really a system in place that still gives them negative feedback because they're just a dick supervisor. So there was another story. After about six months, I started to notice she was a bit of a psycho. She would pit students up against each other to compete for extra opportunities and make me do a whole heap of extra things because they'd be good for my CV. But basically, I was just doing her work, like writing presentations or reviewing papers for her. She would bombard me with messages and emails out of hours. She would demand enormous amounts of work that had to be submitted within 24 hours. There was one situation where she started screaming about how incompetent I was. I'll put in a proper complaint once I'm finished and my papers are published and she cannot retaliate. It sucks that she has so much power over my work because she's taking on new students and the uni said they can't stop that until there are written complaints on record. 
such a shitty system. It's such a shame because there's no way in hell I'm going to pursue research any further. How is that for a rent? Wow, this was crazy. And again, this goes back to the power distance. And sometimes mm-hmm. there's just nothing to do. I guess maybe here a good solution would be to go to a third person. I know that in our university, that was a PhD advisor or something mm-hmm. like that. Who you could go to with complaints about your supervisor or about your project and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. then again, what if they also cannot provide a solution? Yeah, and I think the issue that this person was uh, mentioning is that I guess you don't want to have a written complaint on record as you're still publishing your papers because maybe your supervisor is such a psycho that they will just take your name off the paper or something like that. So um, I think that's a, yeah, this is a really, really, really tough situation. And I think the only uh, solution that I could come up with is, like you said, to go and talk to a third person and at least have someone that you can share your experience with. The only real solution in the end is to file a complaint, an official complaint. But that's that's a big decision. Exactly. And then if many, many students file a complaint, then maybe there will be a systemic change because mm-hmm. this could only be solved with something systematic. The third persona is the I don't really give a fuck about science anymore. So yeah, whatever, supervisor. This is my favorite one. Yes. Okay, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a cool story. My supervisor had no interest in me. He lost his job at the end of my PhD and didn't read much of my thesis. There was a conflict in the lab and I was bullied by postdocs and he was not even interested in helping me. So these are just professors who are leaning back in their comfy chairs and just really don't give a damn about your PhD project. But don't take it personally. They don't give a damn about academia anymore. This can be really hard because your heart and soul is in it. Supervisors losing motivation in a project is tough because it directly affects your motivation. And we talked a lot about motivational issues in the second episode. So if you're curious about how to work around these or solve these, then just listen to the second episode. What we also mentioned in the second episode of this podcast, um, a strategy could be to find another source of motivation. Of course, it's really crushing if your supervisor doesn't care about your PhD project. But maybe there's a co-supervisor involved or a friend or your mom. um, And maybe they're really excited about the project and talking to them might help increase your motivation again. Um, Also, you can try to present your work in group lab meetings so others can develop an interest in your findings. Just basically find someone or a group of people who are excited about your project and don't try to attach too much value to the lack of enthusiasm of this one person. So we also heard a number of stories about um, supervisors being on the paper while having no contribution at all. So one story specifically said, one of the professors in my supervisory team never contributed to the paper. Basically, we would write the paper in several rounds of feedback. And once it was ready for submission, I would send it around one last time. And then that one professor would just comment at the bottom of the paper, if the theme thinks we're ready, let's go. Well, and this was, I guess, uh, an author on the paper at the end? Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think this is normal? Do you think this is something that we should just accept? 
I mean, I so I think it's pretty common. I'm not sure if we should accept it. On the one end, I think um, I it doesn't really hurt anyone that they're on the paper. So why make an issue out of it? On the other hand, you do kind of contribute to a long-standing line of not not really functioning supervisors. I feel like it's just a waste of a uh, waste of resources. Yeah, because imagine that if you have two amazing contributors in your project instead of just one or mm-hmm. or zero. Mm-hmm. I mean, and especially like these people, maybe the the promoters in the Netherlands or the the second supervisors, mm-hmm. they could also if they cannot contribute to the theoretical or the method method part they could also just provide more like a project management perspective Mm -hmm. so then at least they should be willing to help you with managing the project navigating it in a way that you're not going to waste your time in your phd or you're gonna um i don't know develop skills that are not only important in academia but just in general to to navigate a job Mm -hmm. I think I can share a personal story here because I mentioned this in one of the previous episodes that I um, switched supervisors and I switched from someone who was not really involved in the project to someone who actually was really involved and it was so refreshing. I remember the first Mm -hmm. meeting that I had with my new supervisor and he actually asked for a schedule of the project and I was like whoa, that's crazy. I never thought to make a schedule (laughs) of my experiments. So that was really great, you know, just to have uh, one extra person who really seemed to care and was really excited. It was really a boost for my motivation. I also have a personal story, maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit related. Um, I had two supervisors during my PhD project. One supervisor had a lot of expertise in what I was doing. And the other one was in a completely different field. Mm. And at the beginning, it was quite frustrating because I had to learn a new terminology and a new way of explaining my research. Mm-hmm. And of course, it was effortful. And But at the end, I realized that it was also kind of useful because it taught me to have a complete different perspective on this project. And mm-hmm. then he provided sort of the helicopter view. And it always forced me to think outside of the project a little bit. So I guess it's also just changing your mindset on the way like sometimes at the beginning things can be negative because it's more effort for you or you have to put more work in it but at the end maybe it's even useful that's a really good point I like that just change (laughs) perspective yeah so summarizing this point it can be soul crushing not to receive positive feedback from the person who is most involved in your project but you're not doing it for them It is also really tough because this professor won't support your academic career in terms of networking. But as we already mentioned in the first episode, just reach out on your own. For example, you can try to set up international collaborations by just reaching out to to researchers that you like um, and you find their work exciting. You can always try. And honestly, I think researchers are super happy to collaborate. So this is how I set up a collaboration with an Australian professor who was a real expert in, in a meta-analysis that we wanted to do. And that turned out really well because he provided so much feedback on the project. Feedback about PhD projects is often one way. So supervisors evaluate students, but not the other way around. This can be, of course, problematic. 
But let's hear the expert's opinion. We asked Kim Lin, the head of the PhD platform from Radbach University, to tell us about her experience with yearly supervisory evaluations. So, Kim Lin, can you Hi. tell us who you are? Hi, yeah, my name is Kim Lin van der Schans. I'm chair of the PhD committee of our institute. And with this committee, we represent all PhD students in our institute. And we also have discussions with the management team if we feel that overall the PhDs need something to change or some extra uh, help and stuff. That sounds awesome. Um, welcome to the Honest Academics podcast. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you um, did with this supervisor evaluation? Yeah, so with this committee, we set out an anonymous supervisor evaluation to make an inventory of how PhD students assess the strengths, but also the weaknesses of their supervision during their PhD project. Did you feel at the time that it was necessary to do a supervisor evaluation? Yeah, uh, we felt there were very diverse experiences with supervision. And for some PhD students, it's very easy to talk about struggles during their PhD project with their supervision team. But for others, it can also be very difficult to talk about these issues. And we really wanted to also give these PhD students a voice. Uh, in terms of conclusions, what did you find? So overall, uh, PhD students were pretty satisfied with their supervision. Uh, and this was also really nice to hear. But of course, there were some points of, for improvement. Uh, and it was, this was mostly consistency in giving advice and feedback. Uh, and PhD students also felt that they needed more space to discuss things that are not central to the PhD uh, project, but also are in line with, you know, the PhD being a place to sort of learn how to be a scholar, basically. Mm -hmm. So these were more about coaching and uh, networking and discussing future career plans. This is quite interesting because it's actually, there's some overlap with uh, the survey that we set out prior to recording this episode. So I'm really curious, do you have any recommendations for listeners of the podcast based on what you found with this survey? Sure. Um, if you struggle with consistency and feedback, I would suggest to make notes during meetings with your supervisor and after a meeting, send your notes and also agreements for deadlines and action points back to your supervisor uh, and also ask them whether they agree with these points. And in this way, you both have a reference point to look back on and it's easier to hold your supervisor, but also yourself accountable to what was said and agreed before. And nice. I know this works quite well for some colleagues of mine. And anything else? Uh, yeah, I think um, if if you feel comfortable, it's it's nice to talk explicitly about what you expect from your supervisor. And these can also be on small things. So for instance, uh, if you would like feedback on a, a piece of a paper you're currently writing on, um, I usually try to ask my supervisor when they would have time to read this uh, and also when they expect to send me the feedback so we can have a meeting at this time span. Mm -hmm. And vice versa, how about the supervisor's expectations of PhD students? Oh, I think this is quite difficult because for some, uh, it can be very difficult to talk about things that they feel. For instance, if a, if a supervisor uh, expects of a PhD student to finish a certain analysis within a certain time frame and a PhD student feels that it takes much longer. Um, so I, we didn't see this that much within 
the questionnaire we set out. But I do think from experience and from the conversations I have, that talking explicitly about these things can be very stressful, but it may save you a lot of stress in the long run if you do talk about it. Uh, so for instance, explicitly indicating that it might take you one to two weeks to do a certain analysis, or it might take you, I don't know, a month to collect uh, certain data. Uh, to also make it very clear to your supervisor what they can expect of you. That's a uh, really great advice. Thanks, Kimlin. Do you have any final words of wisdom for us <laughs> and the listeners of the Honest Academics podcast? Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, regarding also advice on networking and discussing future career plans. So it's it's an implicit sort of expectation of uh, many PhD students that their supervisor also helps them with these, like extra things about how to become a scientist. And I think it's also important that if you feel you need more coaching on these issues, then also be very explicit towards your supervision team that you want them to help you with this, to connect you with researchers internationally, to advise you on, for instance, conferences. Uh, so maybe they don't have an idea at, at the meeting you're talking about this, but it might be in the, the back of their heads when they're talking to other colleagues uh, later on. That's uh, really valuable. Thanks so much for your time. No worries. Thank you. Okay, so now we get to our fourth persona. The what is our, just make it significant supervisor. This person probably doesn't really support you academically, may not have sufficient expertise, um, one of the stories that was shared with us said we were discussing the sample for an experiment I would do. I mentioned I would do a power calculation to decide on the sample size for the study, to which the most senior supervisor said, no, I will just take 20 participants per cell, to which I said, I think it's better if I just do a power calculation. And we probably went back and forth three times like this until he said, we will take 20 participants per cell because I say so. And I said, I don't think that's a good idea because we won't find the effect with such a small sample. And he said, but I said so. And he actually wrote on a piece of paper, 20 participants per cell because James said so. This is insane. How can someone work in academia with such low level of argumentation? <laughs> I mean, it's we're, we're also... Uh, at least in in psychology, we're in um, kind of a weird situation because the field is changing in terms of open science, but then a lot of the supervisors haven't really been part of that transition. So sometimes as a PhD student, you get into a tough spot where you have to argue for um, open science practices with your supervisors being really against it. So in terms of dealing with you know, if it's just a lack of expertise in the project, so it might be that, for example, your supervisor doesn't know a specific programming language or whatever, you can try and see if there are other people within your department or university who have the expertise you need. Um, if it's theoretical expertise that you are lacking, then you can try and reach out to other researchers, for example, via Twitter. Uh, I see that happening a lot, and it's, I think it's quite common to do that. But of course, your supervisor may also just not really 
uh, want to use a new programming style or a new scientific practice like open science. And that can yield a lot of pressure. And if someone is pressuring you to actually be fraudulent, then of course this should be reported, no doubt. Yeah, and this can be a little bit tricky because maybe the older generation of scientists might take it as an attack if you tell them that you want to do things different way. Um, for example, I remember that I once presented something about open science and pre-registration and then someone came to me after the talk and they asked me, so just tell me again why it is so bad to hypothesize after seeing the results. <laughs> and it was just like I could feel that that person felt attacked that he was yeah. doing something wrong for 20 years and I get that it doesn't feel good if you're being attacked by the younger generation or other people like hey this is not good why are you doing this so I guess my advice is just try to be resilient the field needs to change and we're responsible to make that change if they don't agree with you your supervisor you can just try to explain it again and again and again send another article to them. If that doesn't work, just phrase it in a way that it serves you as a researcher. So for example, you could say, I want to make sure that we will remember all the details about the study, the hypotheses, so I will write it down for myself, and this could also serve as a pre-registration. So don't give them extra work, do it on your own. And if you phrase it in this way, it might be even useful for them too, because it happened to, to me so many times, for example, that in meetings, I just didn't write down what we agreed on. And then two weeks after, I looked at my notes and I was like, no way. I don't remember mm -hmm. anything. And also you could talk about the benefits. You can still explore your data, but we need to have clear goals to reach, not having to analyze data again and again and again, which I also saw several times in, in my departments that people just go back to the data and analyze it again and again. And it's just, first of all, it's so exhausting for the for the PhD student. And also for the supervisor, the project is not going anywhere then. You can also show them easier ways. I noticed that people think about pre-registration as it has to be a really long document, but it doesn't have to be. So, it can just be a one-pager. Exactly. I also think that, that you can stress the benefits of doing, for example, pre-registration or open materials in terms of, uh, let's say, the... Uh, benefits you get from journals and so on. So I think a lot of journals are now offering these badges that you can earn that are on your paper and it just looks really good. Okay, let's get to the fifth persona. The you are amazing supervisor. That doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, it doesn't sound so bad at first, but let's see some of the stories. Mm -hmm. One minor issue for me was that they never motivated me to work hard. I guess generally that motivation should come from within, but doing a PhD, external motivation from your supervisors, would be sometimes a blessing. This type of supervisor only gives positive notes, cheers you on, provides moral support, etc. But they don't really give you any feedback that you can improve on or learn from. And it doesn't seem so bad, but actually it's important that you learn from your supervisor and that someone tells you, in what areas you could do better. A strategy here could be to ask for a meeting and explain that you would like to get some more feedback, ideally with a specific example, like for example, a manuscript that you wrote that only has positive notes and no points of improvement. Another strategy could be just try to involve someone new in your project who you think is quite critical so that you might get some feedback from that person too. Nice. 
Let's get to our sixth and final persona of today. The I'm too busy for everything, but I can squeeze you in in three months time for 15 minutes on Saturday morning, supervisor. We'll start with the story again. Conflicts are usually related to receiving feedback. We agree on a specific day. I make sure to hand in my work well in advance, but my supervisor just doesn't look at it before the day that we agreed on. And this may actually drag on for weeks sometimes. Hmm. A related story to this? Individual feedback rounds could take up to six months. And as a result, I had zero publication at the end of my PhD. And I worked on my publication for free for 10 months until I found the job. Also, I suspect him for strategically advising me not to apply for a postdoc at Stanford, though I was personally invited to apply. Another one of his students, whom he later turned out to be having an affair with, did oh apply God. for the position and got <laughs> it. Oh, that's really juicy. That's super juicy. I cannot believe that we left this in the, the very end of the episode. True. Well, at least now we got people's attention back. That's yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to say to this. This is, um, this is, again, goes back to the power distance issue. This supervisor makes their student feel like a huge burden. That's not fair. They are paid to supervise you and you deserve their time. The only way to deal with this is to address this issue. If they still don't make time for you, try to find a co-supervisor. Ask for weekly meetings, for example. You can also go to a confidential person to talk about it. Or start an affair with your supervisor, because then apparently you get a lot of attention. So we talked about six different supervisor personas today. And I think across personas, there were a couple of strategies that um, came up. So just like in every relationship, I would say communication is key. You have to set your goals together and agree on your goals. Also set mutual expectations, ideally at the beginning of your project, but also as you're going along. It's important to ask them what they are expecting of you and vice versa, you can explain what you're expecting of them. And that can be very specific. Like if you're agreeing that you're writing the introduction of a manuscript, just ask them, when do you want me to send you a first draft? instead of just assuming that it has to be as soon as possible. Also, it's important to identify together what the areas of improvement are. Of course, this is a little bit scary to ask for negative feedback directly. And as we said already, just try to act like a project manager. Take things in control in your hand. If you come to a meeting, then don't just come there passively, wait for them to give you feedback. No, ask for specific feedback on certain things. Write an agenda print the agenda, put it in front of them before the meeting and tell them, today I want to talk about A, B and C. And in this way, you're just really going to show them that you are super proactive and you really want to improve things and you want to use them, which sounds really bad, but to use them to to improve and and make things better. Mm -hmm. And I think that this way you will also show a little bit of dominance, like as it should be, you should dominate your own project. And as a really good Hungarian saying would state, the strongest dog will procreate. So <laughs> I think you can just, I, I think you should just uh, use that as a mantra. Dori, can you say this in Hungarian? <sighs> it sounds really bad and Hungarian people will laugh, but erősebb kutya basik. 
Great. Maybe as you're listening to this, it feels like these strategies would never work in your situation or the relationship with your supervisor is way beyond rescuing. Um, we hope at least that this episode helped to show you that you're not alone in that situation and that there are many others who are sharing your struggles. Yeah, and in that case, if things go really, really wrong, just try to talk to a confidential person. Every university should have one of these people. So, Dory, do you think, after all of this, that supervisors are the Disney villains of academia? No, I don't think so. I think reviewers are the villains of academia. Yes, reviewer too, especially. Yes. <laughs> well, we should balance all the negative stuff out with positive notes that people left in our survey. So we should go back to Sadi's sandwich method. For example, someone said, It's amazing how excited my supervisor gets about my results, and we sometimes spend hours discussing them together, which motivates me when my project is going slow. Oh, how romantic. Yeah, it does seem romantic, doesn't it? With a glass of wine. Yes. The very last positive story. I once ran into a problem with a project that I couldn't solve, no matter what I tried. It drove me crazy. After a week of agonizing over the problem, I went to my supervisor's office. I told him I was getting desperate because I couldn't solve the issue. His response was, let's not do it then. Well, on that positive and pragmatic note, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Honest Academics podcast. We hope you found it useful and it will help you navigate your relationship with your supervisors. If you liked the episode, don't forget to subscribe and please share it with your fellow academics and friends. If you have any questions or comments, please let us know at honestacademicspodcast at gmail.com. See you next time. Bye. Our jingle is Celebration by Kevin McLeod. The link and license can be found in the podcast description.